0: The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2016, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon is from Saturday, June 4th. Getting bigger, but keeping it small. Presented by Juice Trapeau and
1: Tim Matthews from
0: Oscar Blue's Brewery.
1: All right, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for coming to Saver. My name is Paul Gatz. I'm director of the Brewers Association. Uh, the Brewers Association is the trade association for America's craft brewers, and we are the hosts of Saver. And I'd like to welcome you and thank you all for coming here, and I hope you're having a great time. Um, so uh, for this salon, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a real special one on uh, getting bigger but staying small with uh, Juice Drapeau from Oscar Blues Brewery. Uh, now... Got to keep it clean, folks. These are being recorded by craftbeerradio.com. Greg and Nick over here, uh, if you start cursing, they're going to come after you.
2: No, no. they won't. But about a
1: week from now, um, (laughs) you can compare your memory of the session to what was actually said when it shows up on craftbeer.com. Also, uh, this is our last uh, uh, salon of the night, and we've got all this glassware from Spiegel out, so... Take it with you if you want some really nice glassware to take home with you. Um, You know, uh, I've known uh, Juicer Poe for a long time. We're former neighbors. We've played on the same softball team, Um, great friends. And uh, I'm going to let him tell uh, tell you his story now. He wants us to be. you know, a conversation. So if you got something to say, just, you know, get my attention and I'll give you the microphone and you can ask your question into the mic or make your comment and uh, we'll go from there. So please join me in welcoming Juicester Poe.
2: Thank you everyone. Thanks for joining us. And uh, thanks for your uh, support for Oscar Blues Brewery. Um, my name is Juice Strapeau, and, and uh, I am the head brewer of our Lions original location, which is acting currently as the uh, experimental and specialty beer in R&D Brewery. Um, it's a 20-barrel system, and we, uh, we brew 20-barrel batches and some 40-barrel batches and some 10-barrel batches, which we use to produce specialty beers and work on what's coming up and down the pipeline for, for Oscar Blues. Um, the concept of of getting bigger and staying small. Um, there's two things that 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 really mean a lot to Oscar Blues and, and myself is is uh, quality and and the company culture. Um, so the main things that we're really really focused and have been since the start of the company is 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 the ingredients of our of our beer and the fact that we are a larger company. We've have more revenue come in, we were able to focus our energy on really dialing into what we're doing with our beers and how to make them better without jeopardizing or altering the original recipes, um, which I've been drinking Dale's for a very, very long time. We've never changed the recipe on that. We've only done different tweaks to the water treatment and water chemistry, adjusting pHs, you know, adding a little more calcium here and there, pulling gypsum out, and, and all in all in the efforts to create a better better Dale's Pale Ale, a better package, to make sure that that tastes the same across the nation and across the world now as we are in, in other countries um, as it did when it was on draft in the Lions uh, Brew and Grill. So um, we're going to pass some Dale's Pale Ale around right now so gentlemen we have to give me a hand passing some Dales um you know what what really says you know staying smaller and getting bigger than our flagship beer that is absolutely uh a great success story for our company and which really drives um drives us um it's still to this day is one of my favorite beers and I am not saying that because Dale is making me because I work for the company this is something that I'm okay with standing behind um so I'm sure we're all familiar with it, um, but the uh, the exciting thing about Dale's Pale Ale and, and what we've done is being made not only in Longmont, Colorado, and also in our brewery in Brevard, North Carolina, and we just brewed our first batch of Dale's two days ago in our Austin, Texas brewery um, that just opened up. Um, there is a lot of difficulties to creating the same flavor profile with three different breweries, because of the changes in in water, and that's pretty much the most difficult thing. You can use the same hops, same malts, same salts, get your same gravity, all those things are measurable, but there's one part of the chemistry that is unique and stands out on itself, and that is the water. And we started brewing Dale's in Brevard, uh, North Carolina, and we noticed there was a, a slight difference in, in the taste of that beer. It was wasn't very noticeable, but it paneling them side by side is what we currently do. We we overnight our beers to each brewery location and they're included um, during our daily tasting panels. Um, so um, it's extremely important to us to make sure so we had to figure out how to how to really adjust the pH of the water to, to really dial in the flavor profile that was established when it was made in Lions originally. Um, I can't really talk about without drinking one, so give me a second here. So and also a couple of fun things that we're doing currently is I've, uh, I've probably made more Dales than anybody in the history of Oscar Blues as uh, I started as a shift brewer and became the lead brewer for our Longmont uh, production facility. And I was brewing about 800 barrels a week personally once we picked up our speed and um, The goal was to recreate the same specs, which is kind of a production brewer kind of thing and take pride in in, in nailing those types of specs and knowing that you could create the same tasting product with multiple brews. So that's been very exciting. Now in Lyons, I've recently brewed two variations of Dale's Pale Ale. Um, I did a 10-barrel batch of a Centennial Dry Hopped Dale's Pale Ale. Um, It was only available in in specialty draft and, and made it to our restaurants and some of the beers been out in the marketplace. Um, Centennial is the hop that is used in the Whirlpool. Um, it is not a dry hopped beer, but using the Centennial as a dry hop really, really, really brought out more of the strawberry type hop aromas that you can get in Dales that already exist in there. It's just kind of magnifying um, that that beer and, and, and giving it a little bit of a different twist. Um, again, you know, brewing a 10-barrel batch, that's keeping about as small as we as we as we do it. Um, and it's amazing because as soon as I smelled that wort um, as it was knocking out in the fermenter, I just had flashbacks of overnight brewing and, and remembered what that, what that smell was like. It was really exciting. Um, I just brewed another uh, variation with uh, Dale's Pale Ale with using Cascade and Comet hops as a dry hop. Um, so, again, that beer will be ready in a couple weeks, and it will be available in specialty draft, typically at our, lo- our restaurants and uh, select locations. So... Um, but uh, cheers, anybody have any questions about Dale's Pale Ale? I mean, it's an American classic. Um, please feel free. If I don't know the answer, I'm gonna come up with something pretty good anyway about it, so.
1: Do you have a name yet for the uh, new version you're working?
2: You'll just, you'll just know it as a, as a dry, uh, Centennial Dry Hop Dale's or Cascade Dry Hop Dale's Pale Ale, so. Why Dale's? Why Dales? Why that name? Well, the owner, Dale, uh, yeah. Um, it sounds cool because, of course, it rhymes, but uh, it's uh, an old recipe that was built off a homebrew that he did when he was in college at Auburn. Um, Dale would admit that he's a horrible brewer, he's a restaurant guy, and his passion is behind beer. He just needed someone else to really just kind of take it to the next level. And I always joke at him, saying, man, you, you, you wait till Juices Pale Ale comes out because it's going to blow this beer away. That's the <laughs> joke we have together. So I'm still working on it. So, <clears throat> Cool. Um, so,
1: sure. What has been the uh, biggest challenge of keeping it consistent when you m- opened up in North Carolina and keeping that consistency across the board from when it get, used to get shipped from Colorado to the East Coast and now... You're operating on the East Coast. What's been your challenges there?
2: Well, that's a great question because prior to us having fresher beer in, in the East Coast, all the beer came from Colorado. And we were getting some negative feedback from certain places like in Phil- around Philadelphia um, who said that our beer was, was wrong and, and different. And we're like, oh, okay, well, send us back the can that you have and, you know, and let us know what the, the current one you have. The problem with that was is they were so used to having old, oxidized Dale's Pale Ale off the shelf. That's what they knew Dale's Pale Ale as. It was hazy. It was oxidized. We said, well, sorry, but we'll replace it with a fresh six-pack. So <clears throat> it's all about people's perception of what that flavor profile is. Once they have something in their mind, it's, it's hard to change that. So that's why we're <laughs> – now everybody in the nation has – Pretty, pretty good access to fresh beer. I mean, I had a Dale's Pale Ale in the marketplace up here. It wasn't even a month old, uh, which is extremely great for a, a beer coming from North Carolina up, up into this region. So that's, that's our sales staff is doing a great job with that. And it's also educating the, the consumer um, that this is what you need to expect and, and to set the bar high according to that, so. Uh, I I read uh, that you uh, bought the Cigar City Brewing, am I correct? Cigar City, that's correct. Yeah, Cigar City.
3: And I am here because the uh, main
2: uh, thing here is that uh, getting bigger but keeping it small. So why did you uh, bought uh, the Cigar City Brewing? Cigar City Brewing um, is good friends of, of the company and they have similar values and culture like, like Oscar Blues does. Um, one of the things I was mentioning is not only, you know, the culture of the company, we, we try to maintain core values of what we started when we were small. They're a company that is similar in their beliefs to make great beer. They're very outdoor enthusiasts, biking, rafting, surfing, you know, and we felt like their, their culture um, really meshed with our culture as well. And we felt that it was beneficial to pr- provide our resources to national distribution and help them grow as a company too um, and, let, and letting them do it their way and, and just kind of guiding them and helping them you know, do it with, with their growth because they were, they were doing great without us we just want to be, be a part of that and, and, and help them as well without, without interfering in, in what their process is. That's cool. All right, so we'll move on um, to the next beer, which is <clears throat> been brewed in Lyons, Colorado, for over 10 years and only available on draft. Um, yeah, these are these are all single serving too. So if you can't drink all 32 ounces of yourself, you're gonna have to leave. I'm sorry. But, um, that's that's my size can right there. Um, so the beer is called Priscilla. It is a Belgian wit. That is uh, spiced with coriander and orange peel, and it has been a a staple of our Core Lions brand beer for the last 10 years. This summer, um, we actually just uh, brought it into main production, and um, it is now going to be released on a national level, um, available in 12-ounce cans, and uh, we'll also have national draft. we're known for our high-gravity, you know, high-alcohol beers, really hoppy. And we, the most recent beers that we've been producing, um, moving in the direction of, of more sessionable, you know, sessionable and lower-alcohol, lower ABV beers, um, because we like to drink beer, we like to, to ride bikes, and we were having a hard time doing that with drinking a 12-pack of Dells Paleo. So, the Burrito was one of the beers that had just, just come out recently, and it's a Vienna-style lager. It is 4% ABVB. AVB, excuse me, and uh, this Priscilla is a, is a Belgian whip that is 5.2%, and it's the third yeast that we've introduced into our portfolio, currently having the, the ale yeast for all our ales, and then the lager yeast for our mama's pills and the Burrito. Um, this is a beer that I've been making exclusively for the last year, and um, the recipe's been established for a decade. So, all we really wanted to do is just take those raw materials in the process and just kind of increase the volume and, and maintain the original character um, of this style of beer. Now, adding orange peel and coriander granules into the Whirlpool works on a small scale. At a larger scale, it's a lot more volume. So we've had to troubleshoot some of the issues of getting the orange peel clogged in our heat exchanger, and, and those types of challenges that we've we 've worked through to make this on a large scale um, but we 've uh, tried a ver- variety of different methods um, by using uh, muslin bags to capture the the orange peel itself so it doesn 't allow it to get through the knockout process um, but um, we really feel that this is a great summer beer and, and, a, and a really helpful addition to our, our port- portfolio um, as we move to the summer months so um, this will be a It'll be a summer release beer, and um, we're, uh, we're really excited about it.
1: So when I think about the uh, idea of getting bigger and staying small, I think about community involvement and being really integrated in there. Do you want to talk about Oscar Blue's uh, involvement in some local charitable uh, efforts? Cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've uh, we established a foundation called Candide, um, which was established um, coming off the the tales of the of the massive flood that we had in Colorado that really really affected lions, um, you know, and as well as a lot of other, a lot of other Colorado towns. And um, Dale really wanted to start a foundation that could benefit and help. Um, you know, people in, that have lost their homes and a lot of their belongings, and have had you know um, troubles based off of, of the flood. So that's initially where it started. Now it benefits a variety of, of other of other um, of our charities. So um, we we invested heavily on 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 that. With his own money, matching the first year, matching all the money that was invested into it, um, I believe I don't remember the exact amount because it's a figure that's higher than I can comprehend. Um, but that is something that was really important to him, and something that he really wanted to do to give back to the community. So that's was one of the one of the main things that, that we've done it um, with with the amount of revenue that we're coming in is is, is give it back is to is to do more to do more for, for the uh, for the community. So. Um, we've been really successful and I'm really, um, really cool that we've been able to do that and offer that for people.
4: Oh, I was just wondering um, why you chose this beer to have a larger can um, than as opposed to a different beer. And you said it had
2: a higher alcohol content than a lot of the other. Uh, no, this is a, a 5.2%. So Priscilla's is, is a little lower than our typical portfolio. The larger can is our Crawler. So if you're not familiar with it, it is um, is sold through, through um, our Crawler Nation, which is a part of uh, the Oscar Blues company. This is a uh, can from a machine that can get beer off a draft and, and seam it right there. The cans that are be released, released on a national level are 12-ounce cans. But since we haven't released it nationally yet and just packaged the first amount, um, this was crawlered off a, ke- a keg that I had made and that we have been making throughout um, the last 10 years. So um, it's not going to be served in 32-ounce cans, though. <laughs> which would be cool if it did, but, uh, yeah, 10, uh, 10, 50 and 32 ounces, that's, that's dangerous. Any other questions? Yeah. So how do you
3: balance your, uh, your, uh, like, uh, your large production brewery with your uh, kind of creative ideas, you know, if you want to brew like a, a weird beer that you don't necessarily think is gonna uh, sell really highly, or or uh, necessarily be like a super popular beer, but you're just interested in in brewing it for your own interest sake, what do you? How do you? How do you balance that with your uh, with kind of your, your business plan?
2: Well, the the luxury of having a smaller brewery that i currently work at is we're able to do uh, 10 barrel batches and we, we spend a lot of time on r and d using those smaller batches you know they produce you know 16 half barrels we have a variety of restaurants and tap rooms in the air, local area that can pour them as specialty beers and that will, will never uh, affect the main production that is coming out of the main production facility um, so they're they're continuing with our core brand stuff and and the already approved specialty uh, beer stuff that we've done collaborations, um, but you know currently we're you know we're in in my smaller tanks we have a, a coffee IPA trial we have a black IPA trial um, I brewed a I brewed an unfiltered version of uh, our Deviant which is a, now a seasonal so that we could have that beer provided to all our restaurants and for local accounts so um, you can. I have the freedom to play around on, this, on a small scale, and that is separate from what the vision and the production of a large scale it does.
3: So how much of your small scale brewing actually gets translated to large scale?
2: Well, some of, the, some of the beers are, are just true one-offs. It's, a, it's an idea that I have that I th- think would be a good idea. We either get some really interesting hops, um, or some cool uh, cool raw materials from our suppliers that are, are fun to play with and those are beers that aren't necessarily going to make it to the large scale because, you know, we want to just kind of see what they do. Um, most recently, I did three separate um, versions of the trials for our passion fruit pinner, which was just brewed on the large scale um, last week. So, we're going to be offering a uh, passion fruit pinner um, with, with passion fruit and blood uh, blood orange puree. So I made three 10-barrel batches of that. So there was 30 barrels total different with different malt bills and different hops. So we can see in the tasting panel what hops play well with the malt, what color do we want, ABV, do we want to use these types of hops to dry hop and see how it, see how it affects with the fruit that we add down the road. So we used three 10-barrel batches to get enough information so that now we can do on a 50 barrel large scale system
4: I think your uh, your old chub beer is, is excellent i was wondering how you guys keep a consistent level of like residual sweetness uh, if you if it's just that the yeast stops fermenting at that level or if you do something actively to you know, maintain the consistency?
2: That's a great question. Um, now that we've moved to an automated system, um, <clears throat> we're able to really, really dial in our, our mash temperature specs, which creates the sugar profile, you know, complex versus simple sugars, and that allows to attenuate at the, at the right rate. Right, right. We've been observing our yeast more than ever, um, making sure our pitch count is very accurate. We pitch all our yeast in line. We measure our, our oxygen levels, dissolved oxygen levels in um, oxygenation throughout the knockout process. We're pitched to the pound with with measured viability and, and yeast health. And with the, the luxury of having better equipment, you're able to fine tune and control the things that you might've lost on a small system or if you can't control your knockout temperature the way you'd like, or you really don't know how much oxygen you're putting into your word initially, those things are controlled really well now. Um, and with great communication throughout the brew staff in the lab, we're able to really dial in our, our mash temperature so that we have that beer attenuate really, really close to the, the finish range.
4: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so you do it by controlling the amount of simple sugar to complex sugar in your mash, on as opposed to. Uh, controlling or trying to stop the active yeast from... Correct. From we never, we never first the we never stop,
2: stop uh, fermentation. It's all, we let it tail off naturally, let it diacetyl rest naturally, and then we, o- we only crash and drop the temp when it's, when it's finished at its terminal. You know, sometimes we, we're a little off. We can also adjust our mash temps with following yeah. brews to create one that might be a little bit higher. Together they blend perfectly. Again, being a larger brewer, you have blending options. You know to really make sure that that product is leaving the building the the specifications that we've we've you know wanted that's great thank you. yeah you're welcome uh, uh, four, and extra, stout. No. four and extra stout um we've recently discussed uh doing a a lower ABV uh stout um, with with marshmallow um, and that was just a conversation that we had at the bar recently, so that has not gone anywhere. So, but it was just you know, something fun to mention, you know. Um, but that's the things we do. Like you know, I've I've been working a lot recently on on hoppy Belgians. I've used a French Belgian yeast, and I've also used um, the same yeast that that creates Priscilla to see what else can we do that's fun with this this type of yeast, you know, and and having great access. To uh, raw materials and, and awesome hops, um, it's you know I've done a, a Simcoe dry hop saison, a, a Centennial dry hop saison, Galaxy. Um, we've used Citra, Mosaic. Um, so um, I, I'm very lucky to be able to really use great materials that uh, that the, the larger brewery has access to, and and handcraft. Those those types of beers, and really think you know if, if it's going to work out in a large scale, um, some of the hops react better with Belgian yeast than other, and it's it's all about trial and error. It's all about seeing how it, it ends up on the marketplace. Um, this morning I had a Simcoe saison that I uh, had made it um, at a bar in town, and I was really happy and curious to see how it was going to turn out, and I was pleasantly surprised that it's that it's traveled you know, from a small-scale brewery, um, because we don't do a lot of filtering, we um, give a good crash time to our beers and remove the yeast a lot, so it still has an unfilled, unfiltered brewpub kind of, you know, flavor to it, which, which I really like. I mean, you know, there's, there's no filtering or stripping of any type of the, of the flavor profile that's in that beer, but patience is what we use to make sure that that beer is, is going to be servable in the marketplace, so...
1: We're doing okay on time. Um, So when I think of Oscar Blues, I think about a whole bunch of stuff beyond uh, beer. I think about music and bicycles and uh, a farm. Um, What's going on with all this other stuff?
2: Um, That's a great question. well, we do have a, a bike company. Dale is a huge bike enthusiast, um, so he wanted to start a, a an all-American-made um, single-speed mountain bike. Um, he's a huge mountain bike guy, and that is so he you know invested into uh, really getting the um, the bike company going. Um, we have a variety of restaurants. Um, we have a restaurant that is going to open up in in Denver. Uh, it's going to be a music venue in a in a, in a tap room to um, provide. Um, you know, all the craft beer that we want, you know, to support and for people to have. Um, and also, music's been a huge thing. The original location in Lyons has a stage downstairs. It's always been blues music, rock and roll, um, bluegrass. We've done collaborations with, um, with um, Bluegrass in, in supporting their tour and having, you know, tap takeovers in, in correlation with their gigs. And um, there's a, a Reeb Ranch, which is Reeb is the bicycle company that's out in uh, North Carolina. Um, and we've had um, you know outdoor event uh, bike events there and we um, have done a variety of um, can only um, beer festivals um, with music called uh, Burning Can and uh, it's only can breweries that are allowed to participate and we also uh, will Crowler beers for some of the breweries that don't, so we give them access to to help them get their their foot to the festival. So, um, Dale was a huge outdoor. I mean, he's a huge outdoor enthusiast. So um, that's a big important part of our culture. I mean, I don't run, but a lot of the a lot of the, they have a running group. All the people that work in the brewery that dare to run and and yog um, get together and do that and have beers at the bar after or go on a, a bike ride and then have beers together after. It's play hard, work hard you know and, and all that stuff comes full circle so
3: it seems like you have a very strong kind of local local milieu but but how do you compete on a what's your strategy for competing on a national level where you don't necessarily have the same uh, uh same kind of local backing that you do in uh in Colorado or North Carolina
2: well you know we're we're fortunate nowadays that uh social media is pretty much a free marketing network for so we really we really push the the, the social media um you know Twitter Facebook all those those things um, but you know if we believe is if you make good product word of mouth is probably the strongest thing that you could you could really use to, to get your product out the door um, if people enjoy your beer and enjoy the the, the culture of, of your your staff um, you know we, our sales staff our national sales staff runs comes through Longmont all the time to make sure that they're still part of the original location and uh, and we and the same values that we instilled um, you know at an early company age um, you know we've done some some marketing you know we've have advertisements in you know beer magazines and, and on you know but it's you know we don't have the the investment capital to do that so we just believe that good product and good good consumers and spread the word uh, you know and that's the way to, that's the way to do it. Have a have a dale's with your friend, so he has one with his, his friend, you know, and it's like that works.
1: So, uh, you know, back when you guys started up, there really wasn't craft beer in cans, and why would why
2: <laughs> why I I hope, hope I'm correct by saying that I I think I've heard five different stories from Dale himself, so we're very good at getting close to the original stories but in 1997 um, he was he was approached either by mail or by someone who was offering a small-scale canning line Um, we were only doing draft at, at the time and Dale's like oh yeah whatever you know he's just you know blew it off and then he started thinking about it and he's like how how cool would that be to really put like a strong pale ale, six and a half percent pale ale, in a can, to really just say, give an fu to the big the big companies, be like you know look look at this this look, look what this is gonna do. Um, it was kind of a joke at first to him, and uh, look how funny it is now because um, everywhere we look we see cans, and and we've seen the development of the can itself um, just become a better package in itself with the glass polymer lining. Um, you know that's that's you know without the, the availability to be, to be light struck, so and also being a big outdoor company, we're like wow you can fit a bunch of cans in your backpack. You can drink them, you can crush them, and you can pack them out. All our cans say pack in and pack out. Um, they're infinitely recyclable. Yeah, they're infinitely recyclable, and um, you know it just kind of took off from there. And we 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 have no ambitions to to do to do bottles and. Um, we kept moving from Dale's onto onto Old Chub, eight percent Scotch Ale. How funny would that be if that was in a can, you know, sitting next to a Budweiser? Or and then eventually we did the Ten Fitty, which is a ten and a half percent Imperial Stout, um, in a can that you know pours like motor oil. To that, that was funny to us, and we you know we thought that was a very, very cool thing, and we we were glad to be in the forefront of that.
1: Thank
4: you. Hi. Uh, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm uh, I'm very curious about the process of uh, you know going from these experimental batches to like full scale production. So you mentioned like uh, like tasting groups. How do you actually like determine that like uh, uh, an experimental batch is like ready for prime time?
2: Um, well, you know, it's being a, being a large company. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of influence from you know um, marketing. You know, Dale himself is 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 still very involved and what we think will do well in a marketplace cuz you know as a company that wants to do well you want to have good product but you also want it to sell that's what that's what's you know really what it's all about good product and and getting getting something to sell so um we we knew that we we would really wanted to offer like a kind of a fruit version of our of one of our beers you know which is something we're currently working on right now so the passion fruit pinner is so let's do passion fruit all right let's Let's mix it with some blood orange. Okay, well, juice here. Here's uh, some malt to play around with. You know, let's find the right ratio, get the color you want, figure out what gravity you want it to be, IBUs, all those, all those specifications, and you you build a beer that way to meet those those specifications. The beer gets finished. You know you. You run. You add some fruit into it. Did you add enough? Well, you won't know till you taste it. So we taste it, and see where we want to tweak it. Whether it's changing the hop profile or adding more fruit to get it more fruit forward. Um, is it too bitter? So let's knock down the IBUs. So we, we we build a bunch of small versions of that, and take all the highlights that we like from that, and then you know use that information to really dial in the the larger recipe. It's you know you can scale it up to, to a larger volume knowing what you want for IBUs and gravity and all those things. So I, guess
4: you have a, uh, Sorry, you. I guess once you have like a beer that you think is like very good like uh, you know something, something that you taste and you uh, awesome beer this, this tastes awesome uh, I love it um, I, what's the process of uh, pushing it out like do you uh, you know, you put in your like your uh, your uh, small batch brewery, and you're like, you know, getting like feedback. Or do you really say, hey, you know, I want the strawberry pale ale; it tastes awesome. And we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go to national. Let's see what happens.
2: Well, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the beers that I that I you know it's that I like that turn out really well, they just end up being one offs or something that I'll recreate in the small scale because it takes a lot of resources and a lot of money and a lot of energy to 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 make a full full time release. Um, you know, with the marketing and investment that's in, in getting that product kind of, you know, pre-sold. So it's, you know, I can say, hey, this is a really good beer. It might not be agreed with some of the, the, the marketing people that don't think that it'll sell on a national level or sell enough for it to be a, be a profitable uh, venture for us, you know. So that's the luxury of having the small brewery, though, because you can find those beers at at select locations. They, they make their way across the United States in small amounts, and you'll see them pop up in Minnesota. So it's good to have like, oh, this is a really good barley wine. Well, I'm going to make 10 more barrels next December. Maybe you'll see it, maybe you won't. So it's kind of exciting. You know, it kind of leaves people wanting wanting more without giving them everything, you know. So it's uh, it's, I wish I had the influence to say every beer that I like, let's do it. Let's do it all, right. Let's do it in a huge amount. So the world loves it, but. You know, sometimes things are better small. Yeah,
1: and you've got the pubs, so they can be your panel.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Want
1: to go to beer three? Is there,
4: have you seen a difference between North Carolina versus Colorado in terms of what really sells at the brew pub? Um,
2: that's a great question. I, uh, unfortunately, I cannot answer, answer what um, really sells um, at the brew pub, but having my family in the East Coast and, and drinks, drink that beer... Um, and, and our sales staff in the East Coast, there's amazingly great feedback of how similar those beers are to each other from the other breweries. So, um, you know, it's probably based on season. Um, you know, it gets really cold in, in Colorado. The 1050 is a really popular beer when it's f- four degrees out and you're sitting by a fireplace. Um if it's 90 degrees and 90% humidity in, outside of Asheville, North Carolina, I don't know if they're drinking that at the same level that we are. So, you know, it's all, it's all a regional thing too. I think it has a lot to, a lot to do with it. Um, one second, we're gonna start passing out our last last beer too so we can get that, everybody drinking that. It's the Death by Coconut. If you haven't tried the Death by Coconut, um, is a cult classic right now. It's very, very popular. It's a seasonal for us now. It's a beer that came out through, um, through Lions as a collaboration with Shamrock and um, actually won a silver medal a few years back in the chocolate beer category. We used that, that, that medal and that you know, excitement of, of, of winning, winning a medal with this beer. And we're like, wow, we should probably make more of this. You know, we should take it from a collaboration. We should really focus on that beer. And if it's so good for this style, let's make sure that we have more to offer for everyone on a national level. So, um, so you know, but one of the tricks with that is, you know, using, co- using flaked coconut in every single batch was very, very tricky to do in a production level. So we've had to figure out how to really get that part of the process dialed in, and really maintain the the, the flavor profile that is was established on a small scale um, with this beer, and um, we uh, have actually improved the flavor profile of this beer um, by by focusing on on tweaking a little bit of the of the raw materials and ingredients, and, and just on a, in a right direction um, to make sure that this beer does well with with the shelf life that we want. Um, you know, beer that gets Consumed fast in in brew pubs, it's a different level than putting it in a can and letting it sit in Washington State for a while. So um, this is um, this is a huge favorite for um, majority of of, us Blues fans right now.
4: Sure. So um, number one, I'm a huge fan. You guys do an incredible job. Thank you. Appreciate it. Really. Appreciate it. What kind of what kind of things are you working on now, and where do you see trends going with uh, different styles?
2: Um. Right now, I mentioned this a little earlier. We've been, <clears throat> we've been really, really uh, working on, and I have personally because I love saisons, and I've been working extremely hard on prov- on, on providing a a hoppy, you know, Oscar Blue's kind of hoppy saison, though the different yeast and a different flavor profile than any of our core any of our core b- brands already a- offer. Um, so that's something I've been working on um, a, a lot lately. Um, the coffee IPA trials are in the works that's a passion that Dale if every time I see Dale he's like hey how's it going he's like coffee IPA all right well if he's gonna want that then I think we better get on it right so that's something we're working on with we have a black IPA um, trial going on as well and you know I see us coming out of the of the market um, of the session beer kind of craze you know that I think Charlie predicted like 10 years ago. I mean he's brilliant at that. We've had this conversation years and years ago and it makes sense. Um, but I think coming out of that you'll start seeing a rise on on Belgians and you've already seen it with sour beers. It just more varieties and more offerings from smaller breweries. And and just walking around tonight, there's a there's a great selection of great sour beers. Um, barrel aged beers, you know um, we're we're currently aging our 1050 Imperial stout and and, I, and a lot of bourbon barrels for a fall release, um, which will be in a can, and it'll be offered in a national level. Um, but each of those barrels is, is a single barrel we sample from and run those through, through a sensory to make sure that there's no infections and in, it's in to our, our liking. Um, but those are some of the things I've been working on currently, so yeah. Yeah, so Dale's is sort of a very personal,
4: very small, originally thing. Do you have any like really good stories about Dale himself? That, like what's your favorite Dale story
2: my favorite Dale story um that I could that I could say without without this coming back to him um, <laughs> um most recent one is pretty good uh he's you know he's always constantly riding his bike in lions and he, he pops in to, to see me and he doesn't really come in to talk he just comes in to use my bathroom and uh I'm always like, know, what's what's Dale think about the beers I'm making, you know? And it's, and we started talking about the passion fruit uh, pinner. And he thinks of me as a pretty strong, and you know, oh, juice drinks like man beers, whatever those are, you know. That's the relationship we have, you know. Um, and he's like, I figured you out of all people would be the one to say, I'm not gonna brew a fruit beer. And I said, you No, know what Dale? You know what I've come to learn and love about this company is if you say a good amount of yeses people leave you alone. And it allows me to do something else that's a little more obscure, you know? So, um, he just has that, that, that good s- sarcasm. He, he doesn't treat you like you're an employee. He treats you like you're just, you're a friend. That's the best thing I could say about the, about the man.
1: I got a Dale story.
2: Good. Cause I, cause I, <laughs> I've been working for him and, and I don't really, I don't really know.
1: All right. So, uh, it? back when, uh, uh, he first started canning uh, with Brian Lutz, uh, the original brewer. It was a little two-banger uh, canning unit. It took them an hour just to do, like, a case of beer. It was very inefficient. They were losing money on it. And uh, it, was, it was, like, attached to the end of the table with a vice grip. And I'm, I'm watching. And I'm like, okay, that'll never work. That's that's crazy. And, and then I look over, and there's this... Uh, a uh, water fountain, you know, your basic water fountain. You go up, you lean over, you uh, turn the turn the handle, and uh, water comes out. It was beer, it, and his, his water fountain was beer. And I thought that's awfully cool.
2: That was that was one of the first times I went and did a tour of that facility. It was they had uh, ten-fifty coming out of the bubbler. Uh-oh. How refreshing is a ten and a half percent, you know, um, imperial stout? Guess um, depends on the person and the time, but. Yeah, um, he yeah. He's just. I'm not saying this because this is be recorded, because uh, but he's just been a great, great person to work for, and um, I, I can't have enough good things to say about him and how he treats his company and his employees.
1: What do you guys think of the uh, death by coconut?
2: <laughs> who who hasn't had it before? Raise your hand. Who hasn't had it? Exceptional. Oh, this is fabulous. Cool. Yeah. This is this is um this is so popular that we turned it into a production seasonal. Um, we made a bunch of it. We put it in cans. We have it available. We had it available in draft, and it just literally disappeared. Like it, it, it was pre-sold, pre-purchased. Everybody wanted it. It disappeared in the marketplace. So I always reach out to the director of brewing operations, and we talk about what I brew because to fill the forty-barrel tanks, it's got to be something that sells. It's not just a a, a try this kind of kind of deal. I mean, that's enough product that we got. We wanted to sell, so we want to make a little bit of money off of it. So they're like, uh, won't you start making Death by Coconut again? I was like, this is a very manual. I mean, we, we dump liquid chocolate into the top of the tank. We, 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 we stuff desiccated coconut into sanitary game bags, put them in the bright tank, filter the beer onto the, the, the coconut. Rouse it with CO2 to get the coconut and mixed with all the chocolate beer we just added to it. It's, it's a very demanding thing. So it's not my favorite beer to make. You know, the easy ones. People, What's your favorite beer to make? Just the easiest ones. I don't know. The ones that I don't have to kill myself over. But I ended up brewing 120 barrels recently that is going to be available in, for draft. And it's going to make it out into the marketplace. And it's going to disappear. So keep your eyes for it. But... That's some of the uh, some of the good stuff that I get to get to do. So,
3: all right, one more. It seems like sour beers have been more and more popular mm-hmm. um, recently. That's very true. What do you uh, What do you think? Are you gonna come out with a with some sour beers or? Uh,
2: I can't, are I can't you, say. Are you, are you
3: planning for that?
2: <laughs> Personally, I love sour beers. Paul has been a, Paul and our good friend Danny has been a huge influence on, on my learning and, and trying on sour beers. And um, I love them, and I think there's a great market for them. They're extremely difficult to brew well. Um, but I can't say if we're going to move into that direction. Maybe so, maybe not.
4: of a general question so like when you when you make a uh, when you're when you're crafting your beers for yourself and then you have to then like transfer that recipe to the larger scale and then transfer it to even the larger scale like what are the biggest problems basically between like the individual like what i'm what you're doing in testing um and then and then trying to get that same flavor and that same uh, feel then to the larger scale and then even to the larger scale right. after that.
2: That's uh that's a great question. So and, and anybody that's brewed or that you know knows brewers is each system provides its different challenges. So when I left Longmont to go to Lyons, I had to relearn what the system was allowing me to do as far as extract with your mash. I mean what how much grain do you need to use to get the amount of sugars that you need, which ends up giving you your alcohol by volume, you know, down the line, you know. So the thing that's difficult is trying to figure out the efficiency of my system, which is which is a percentage, and figure out how we can bump that up to get the efficiency that we currently have with our long lawn system. So the challenges are getting the the right amount of of gravity, you know, the right amount of sugars dialed in when you're going from a ten barrel batch to a 50 barrel batch because it's not it's not linear. It doesn't just you don't just multiply it times, you know, times five. It doesn't work that way. Um, so the challenge is, is, you know, is getting those specifications, you know, dialed in. And it takes time. The, the, the first 100 barrels we brew isn't exactly where we want it. But we know from brewing that 100 barrels what we need to change in order to make the next 100 or 200 um, more similar to the original recipe or different enough so they blend well together. Trial and error, even on a large scale, you know? Beer is very forgiving, though. It's, you know, if anybody's ever, ever, beer is very, very forgiving. So there's a lot of flexibility in, in, in how well you can make a good, good product, so.
1: Right. Any other questions from the group? Do you want to wrap a little early? Do you want to sit here and drink a little more beer?
2: I'm down. I'm down. More beer? You got a question? Uh, passion well Priscilla's coming out. You'll still see that on the shelf next. And then our Passion Fruit Pinner will will be the next release following that. And then we'll go back into our um, fall seasonal, which I believe is Deviant. And then 1050. So we've created these two uh, new summer summer beers to 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 go with the our our fall and, and winter releases. So that we're always having something that is, is released in all seasons now. So that, those are the two that to look out for.
4: So as a man who knows beer, what is your favorite beer that you've tried here tonight at Saver?
2: My favorite beer that I've tried here tonight?
4: Not to put you on the spot.
2: Well, you know, I'm, I might be partial because I'm, I'm from Maine, but the, um, the Belgian Allagash 16 Counties beer, um, which was made by ingredients from all 16 counties in my my home state, um, which is talk about just going for it and, and hoping that something, you know, turns out, and I think is extremely well-made, and um, I, I'm a Belgian guy too, so um, there's endless good sour beers that I, I can't remember the name, but those have been done really well here too as well, so, but, uh, you know, Keeping true to my home state, Alagash that 16-county beer was something I was really excited to try because I haven't had the opportunity to yet, and I was pleasantly surprised at how it's turned out.
1: As you're moving to new communities, um, what, do you, what do you guys think about the, the political ramifications like Texas where you know, the, the laws are very restrictive? Uh, what do you guys think about you know, sort of fighting that and
2: helping yeah well it's a good question and, and you know starting a brewery in Texas is is part of the reason I'm starting that location I believe is because it's really difficult to get beers outside of Texas into the state based on on, on laws of, of ABV and and um, those types of legal um, ramifications and it's Texas was already a really big state for us. So, um, you know, when we established North Carolina, it turned into like our third best-selling state just by getting the brewery there. So we figured Texas is already a huge supporter of us, and it's really difficult to get our beers there. I mean, they were they were pushing just our core brand stuff that was approved. Um, so we feel that establishing a, um, a, a brewery there, providing, you know, in-state um, and beer and working with, the local community um, and the guild down there is going to help help probably change those those laws into the positive direction. Um, we're, we have one more state to get into. We're going into Montana, and I believe we roll Montana out um, in a week or so. <clears throat> Other challenges were, were Utah with the with the low like legalization there too, um, and, and also Oklahoma, um, but. We have a, a really strong sales staff. We have, I believe, um, 80 to 90 sales salespeople around the nation, which is a lot for our size of a, of a company. Um, but we want to provide that local connection and, and be part of the local scene in ev- every part of our, our distributors in you know, our beer ends up. So um, it is a challenge, though, but um, it's something that, that we're working towards trying to improve.
1: And- the brewers in Texas have made a lot of progress the last few years. They get, just got four bills through uh, three years ago, so it's good. And, and so you're you're actually assisting the you know, like the existing brewers there to, to try and progress the, the the
2: laws. Well, I mean, in more ways than one. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the craft beer um, industry is a very very close industry, as as we as we all know or can assume it's true. So it, it, it's 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 not we're, we're better than you or, you know, we're, we're coming here to take. It's, it's all about helping each other out and really making the craft industry a, a, better, a better industry in general. It's really important to, to our company and, and to us as brewers. So. Yeah,
1: all right. Well, the group next door. Oh, one more question. The group next door is stuck until we leave. So we're going <laughs> to keep more talking. And then we're going to <laughs> Well, as, as long
4: as I can go, it seems like an encouragement to me. Um, no, I, I had a question. I, I'm really impressed with uh, your brewery's ability to make high ABV beers that don't have any like residual burn or like barley wine aftertaste to them. Yeah. And you know, to to me that means that you guys do a very good job of controlling the the nutrients and making sure that the yeast isn't stressed. Yeah. And um, um, I have a couple of local breweries that make high ABV beers that that do have off flavors to them and I was wondering how you guys control that like I know know it's standard to go through like three to four generations of yeast for a particular batch before you like throw that away and go back to the original generation yeast or, or if you add yeast nutrients I was wondering how you guys specifically control that aspect of variation
2: it's a great question. We um, we had some issues um, as we were growing into a, into a large brewery. We've we've changed some methods. We've changed our knockout system. Where before we used to was to transfer the wort through the heat exchanger to the to the fermenter through the bottom. So when you do four of those in a 200 barrel tank with a 50 barrel system, you're stratifying four different sugar levels of of wort. So you're getting we're getting stratification and we're getting you know fermentation that was farther along up top and then and then lower on the bottom. So we decided we, we transferred through the racking arm with an apodent angle. So every every knockout mixes the tank's volume and gives us a uniform uh, tank wort in general. So that's that was something that we changed immediately. Oxygenation levels are very, very essential. So measuring those oxygen levels, like how much oxygen is actually getting into the wort. So, you know, making more money, provide us to get better equipment to, to measure that level. Um, taking our wort samples and shipping them out to, uh, to a lab to figure out what nutrients were in there. We were just adding a yeast nutrient, had a variety of different you know, uh, you know, calcium, manganese, you know, manganese, and magnesium and all those things were in that, but what was our wort really deficient of? We found that out. We found out it was zinc, calcium, so we added extra levels of zinc and calcium to our beer to really, to really give that beer the true nutrients it needs, based on our yeast and and gravity stuff. But it was a challenge, and those are the, some of the things that we've changed to, to get to get those beers. It's constant. We're constantly working at. We're constantly sending samples out.
4: So, so does that then extrapolate into how it's easier to make? Uh the same beer to multiple locations
2: well yeah i mean because we we you know we we know what our wort needs or what it doesn't have so and you know as soon as you figure out your water chemistry you use that and your raw materials are similar you 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 treat that product the same way um in, in all three locations now and four including my small little little old gem there so yeah, I mean, I still, I use the same methods, and I, I constantly change my methods to what is being improved over in Longmont um, with their resources, Now I'm keeping the same product the same way, same quality.
1: All right, thank you so much, Juice. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody.
2: We appreciate it.
1: You're uh, welcome to stay here and help finish these beers, or you're welcome to go down for the last half hour of savor and... Uh, We hope you have a great rest of the evening. Oh! Oh. (laughs) All right. Thanks again, everybody.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2016, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2016, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com slash savor, or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.